And the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So this week, in the Gospel reading, we hear the third set of images about the reign of God. So in each of the Gospels, the God, Jesus uses a different phrase to talk about the reign of God in the world. And in Matthew's Gospel, he calls it the Kingdom of Heaven. So just to clarify, the Kingdom of Heaven is not heaven. Somebody on Tuesday asked me about this. And so the Kingdom of Heaven is is when God's will is done on earth as in heaven, as we pray every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. It's how we experience God's will being done in the here and now. So how would we describe that? How would we describe the reign of God in the world today? What's our experience of that? And what images or stories could we tell about that? So before we have a look at what Jesus does, I thought it would be useful for us to think about our own experience and how we would describe the kingdom of heaven or the reign of God in the world today. So I invite you to turn around, talk to your neighbour. How would you describe the kingdom of heaven? themselves to be the kingdom of heaven. 
So when Constantine took over the Roman Empire, he understood that this was the kingdom of heaven. And there are people in the, from the British Empire who understood that what they were doing was the kingdom of heaven. And there'll be Americans today who will say that their empire is the kingdom of heaven. And they're fighting to defend that. So, so it might be different from what we've understood, but that's how they understand the kingdom of heaven. When, um, when the Viking settlement at Kiev, now Ukraine, uh, so the Vikings kind of went down there, the Swedes, and they, it, was quite a, it was a kingdom based in Kiev, and uh, it was there so they could trade with people, slaves, Slavs, slaves. And um, when they were thinking about what kind of religion they might adopt out of the three big ones, Islam, Catholicism, and Orthodox Christianity, I mean, Catholicism and Orthodox Christianity are the same religion, but the two branches are the same one, uh, they were amazed by the basilicas in Constantinople and just the splendor uh, and the drama of the services that went on in those basilicas. And so they adopted Orthodox Christianity. For them, that was the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Russia today and all that part of the world is Orthodox, because those people saw the kingdom of heaven and what was going on in the Byzantine Empire. So, we can understand Kingdom of Heaven in lots of different ways. But instead of those kinds of images, Jesus offers us a whole range of, well, quite subversive images, really. Now, we're used to them. We've grown up listening to these stories. And so they're not very surprising to us. They're not very subversive. But to those original hearers, they would have been quite shocking. So let's have a look at what he talked about. So these are all part of the same, um, the same set of parables in Matthew 13. So two weeks ago, and they're weaved in together. So the lectionary writers have carefully chopped them up and extracted them various bits and pulled them apart. But actually, in, in Matthew 13, these are all interweaved together. You jump around the place when you pull it out. So two weeks ago, we had the parable of the really incompetent sower who wasted most of the seed, throwing it on rocky ground and paths and all kinds of things like that. Now, we're used to that story, but anyone at that time would have been shocked at that story. Seed is not something you go to the shop to buy in a little bag. Seed is something you have to develop for yourself. And you do not waste that seed. It goes into good soil. That's the only place seed goes. And instead, Jesus tells the story of a man who wanders around casting the seed wherever he likes. It's a stupid story. That's how we should feel about that story. And what, no wonder he had to explain that to people. Because they were like, who would do that? And then he told the story about a field of good seed, and then someone maliciously goes in and sows weeds in the middle of that. That's just, just that's a dirty trick, really. And it's bad, exactly. And uh, and there's a really interesting phrase that comes up twice in here about at the end of the age, the good and the bad will be separated. It's really interesting how often we as Christians want to separate the good and the bad now. We want to pull out the weeds now. We want to separate who's the good fish and the bad fish now. 
But Jesus is pretty clear that it isn't our job. That happens at the end of the age. And until that time, the good and the bad fish will swim around together and the weeds and the good wheat will grow together. That's God's work. That's not our work. It's a very interesting thing about those parables. And then, well, I haven't told the story about somebody who maliciously sows weeds in a good field. He tells the story of someone who just deliberately sows weeds in his field. Because that's exactly what a mustard seed is. It's not something you want. It's like gorse. Now, who of us here would plant gorse in our field? Well, it was planted here deliberately in the first place. Thank you, those people. And it does have some good purposes, like Bonnie and I were on Johnson's Hill in glory, and when I was growing up, that was a gorse that was just yellow in some of the gorse flowers, and now the native bush is growing through it. There's still gorse in that, though. Made a good covering for the native bush. But that's what Jesus is talking about here. Somebody who deliberately sows gorse in his field. It's stupid. You wouldn't do it. So just told a story about somebody who maliciously sowed weeds, then he tells the story about somebody who sowed weeds in his field. And, well, Mark kind of knew what a mustard tree looked like, so he described it as a shrub, which just reminds me of Monty Python, but we won't go there. And then, um, the path between them, the two little, two little things. So, um, uh, and Luke clearly had no idea what a mustard tree looked like, and so he described it as the greatest of all trees. Well, that's probably cedars which would have really been a much better image to use than a mustard tree. And kind of, I think Matthew was an Anglican. He hedged his bets. He kind of said it was a tree, he said it was a shrub, but it was kind of tree-like and, and birds could, uh, could put their nests in that, in that tree-ish. Shrub-like tree. So, hedged his bets there. And then he went on to tell a story about a woman. Now, I, this is a man's world. We heard that in our, in our horrible reading, the first one. About Jacob and Laban and Leah and, and Rachel. It's a horrible story. It's full of deceit and dishonesty, where women are treated as, as property, don't get any say. I mean, three weeks ago we had the story of Rebecca. She at least had a say in what was going on in her life. There's no say for the woman in that story. It's a horrible story. And, um, you know, we like to gloss over it, but it's just not a nice story. And that's because that was a man's world. And you didn't use woman or woman's work to describe anything about the nature of God. I mean, if you want to describe the nature of God, you describe the throne of God and the temple and Solomon's great um, Solomon's um, Herod's great temple in Jerusalem that was so magnificent that even the disciples were blown away by it. That would be, you know, that was man's work. Men did that. It was big. It's amazing. That would be what you use. But Jesus tells a story about a woman. And the NRC says that she mixed the yeast 
in the flower, but actually the Greek is hid. And a number of the other translations translate it as hid. She hid the yeast in the flower. Well, that's not a very good hiding place because we're not talking about dry yeast here. We're talking about the kind of brew that you just keep putting in all your stuff, which can go off and make you sick and all kinds of stuff. She hid that in flour. So what's going to happen? It's going to fizz, it's going to grow, it's going to become bread. So it was a bad hiding place. And it's huge amounts of flour. Like, a family couldn't get that much bread before it went off. So it's, a, it's an outrageous story. Especially when we remember that the holy bread of Passover is unleavened. There is no yeast in it. A little bit further on in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus goes and feeds a whole lot of people with fish and bread twice. And he would need a whole lot of bread for that. So maybe he's just kind of building up to that, giving them, giving them some some clues about what's going on. And then he talks about a tenant farmer who uh, finds treasure in his field. Now treasure, there's no banks, there's no safety deposit boxes, so treasure, that's where you put your treasure. If you had treasure, you hid it in the field, you knew where it was, you made sure you knew where it was. Unfortunately, if you died without telling anyone else where it was, then it kind of got lost. So that's the backstory of this thing. And so Jesus says to Tenor Father, joyfully sells everything he has, which wouldn't be much, because he's a tenant farmer, and buys the land, which is impossible. He's a tenant farmer. He had enough resources to buy the field, he would have bought the field already. But he didn't. So he was a tenant farmer. He may well have once owned the land, but the taxes the burden of the tax meant that he had to sell it, pay the taxes, so now he's just a tenant farmer or a day laborer. Now, this is an impossible story. It simply wouldn't happen. And then he tells the story about a merchant who's looking for some fine pearls, and when he finds the one, he goes and sells his stock and buys the one happy with just the one, which he's not going to sell. That's a surprising story. And no stock left. What are you going to live on? Any storekeepers here? They, if you do that, sell your entire stock and buy something you're not going to sell? It's of no use at all, but he joyfully does that. And then the last story is about drag netting, which Greenpeace would like. Of a conversation with Jesus about this one. So, I mean, effectively, that's what they're talking about drag netting. So, having a net between two boats just scraping along the bottom as they do down a much grander scale and pulling everything up. Even if heaven is like that. And then Jesus says, Do you understand? And the disciples go, Yep, we understand. But actually, you can't read the whole gospel. No, I didn't have a clue. Because uh, it's pretty, like, it's just really not what people were expecting. And I suspect if we'd been in that situation, we would have gone, yep, yep, we understand. We got that. No, thank you. What are you going about? That's ridiculous. 
those silly stories. They would have gone away off on their own and tried to work it out later. So, a whole lot of stories about the reign of God, the kingdom of heaven in our world. So what then does the reign of God, the kingdom of heaven, look like? We have to read all those stories together. We like to chop them up. Even the commentaries I read said we can't preach on all of them, so pick one or two. But Jesus told them as a set, bang, and they were woven in together. They're presented as a set. This is what it's like. All of these things tied them together. How we understand that is also um, shaped by how we see ourselves in these stories. So, are we good seeds or weedy seeds? Are we, or are we the one side, either wastefully or properly, or with weeds, musty seeds? Are we yeast, or are we a woman who's hiding the yeast in flour? Are we treasure? Or are we the joyful and reckless tenant farmer selling everything he has in the hope of buying that land? Are we an amazing pearl? Or the merchant who does the foolish thing and sells his stock to buy the pearl, to have it? Are we fishermen, dragnetting? Or are we the fish who are caught? All of these contradictory images help us as hearers know where to look for the kingdom of heaven. They help us know when we are experiencing the kingdom of heaven, happening around us and in us, so that we can hear the invitation to join the work of the kingdom. So in light of all of that, having heard those seven stories,
So instead of saying the creed, uh, we are going to talk about. We'll get to there. We're going to uh, talk about where is the brain of God and uh, where we see that breaking into the world today, given given what we've just been talking about. So, does anyone have any thoughts they might like to share with all of us, James? Um, it's an opportunity to overcome adversity, or put another way, to see the silver lining in what can Right. So, so look at it differently. Yes. Yeah. And then see what you can do with that. Right. I mean, that's what Jesus was doing. He was shaking stuff up. Like, people had a very clear idea of what the kingdom of heaven looked like, and he was just going, <laughs> okay, now this is what I think it looks like. And they're going, what? They were being invited into seeing the kingdom of heaven in a very different way. So that's exactly what James is talking about, seeing what's happening in a different way. Yeah. It kind of goes back to the previous really, giving thanks to stuff that normally you wouldn't do it. What about others? Any other ideas? Glenn. Um, you've asked us to think of um, some of the images and how that type. The one of the scattered seeds seem to me is that we should dare to explore all kinds of things as to what and who God is and where truth lies. And in our scattering, some of it we'll find no, that doesn't it's not where life and, and a life in Christ is and an uh, understanding of the truth is. And it's not to make but we've explored that because it's good to test it. It's good to dare to read books that might lead us to a truth in a place that we didn't expect. Um, so the scattering is not wrong. It's been identified where the good seed is and where, therefore, that becomes the kingdom of heaven when we discover truth in new ways. It's not a package, it's an unfolding bridge through our lives as we move. But I've talked about um, reading books by Rachel Held Evans, who uh, was an American author who died last year, far too young. But she is they're known in America as the millennials. And they're the generation that stopped going to church in America. So it's causing great angst. It's like, well, you're a generation behind us, but welcome, well, well. Uh, but in essence, what she is saying is my generation asks questions and have doubts. And we grew up in churches that told us not to ask questions and not to have doubts. And we have got to have, we've got to be able to have space for that. So uh, that's exactly it. Asking questions, having doubts. Because when we do that, then we allow the kingdom of heaven to be shaped up in us and to see the world in new and different ways. Bonnie. I went to a breast cancer research fundraiser afternoon tea yesterday. There were 50 women crammed into a house. And 
six or seven of them talked about their uh, journey with breast cancer. And it kind of reminded me this morning, like, deliberately sowing the weeds. So for many people, that experience is very surprising. All of a sudden, they feel well, and then they've got cancer. But all of them talked about the love of their families, their best friends, the kindness of people, the skill of the staff at the cancer centres and their doctors, and how that experience actually opened up the kingdom of heaven for them in a way that they would not have guessed. They didn't use those words, but it feels like that. <coughs> Let us pray for the church and for the world, giving thanks for God's goodness. 